Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how law enforcement can interact and support those with autism. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown podcast on the Islet Network. Your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, here we go with another episode of the Tactical Breakdown podcast. Really excited to put another episode out here for you. Hopefully you find this one really actionable and relevant for you. If you do, make sure to subscribe or follow the podcast on your podcast player so you get all the up-to-date information when we release new episodes and you stay up-to-date on everything that we're doing with the ILET network. Um, The biggest news, I guess, coming up here right away is that we are launching the ILET community platform on February 1st. So depending on when you get access to this episode, if it is before February 1st, 2022, make sure to go to ILET.network. You can sign up for early access um, and register for the platform. If you are getting this afterwards, again, ILET.network, you can sign up, jump right into the community, and um, hopefully you'll enjoy all of the content that's in there and you'll really get something out of it. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to interview Doc Davis. And so Doc and I have had a lot of opportunities to consult and work together over the last year or so. And um, this was the last interview that I'll be sharing from my time at Ailita from 2021. Doc and I had a very real conversation about interacting with those with autism. Um, This one hits very close to home for me. As some of you know, if you followed the podcast for a long time, my younger brother is special needs. He's mid to low functioning, believed he was on the autism spectrum, and he also has a multitude of other learning, growth, and mental disabilities um, that I won't dive into here. But needless to say, I've worked with and alongside um, both children, adolescents, and adults with autism my entire life, um, both personally and professionally. And so this is a subject that really hit home for me, and I know Doc himself, who has a child with autism, um, again, it's it was one of those conversations that I knew we had to share and put out there to the world. Hopefully you find it useful and relevant. Um, and if you want to start a conversation about this, this is something that I will continue to bring up over and over again and look forward to putting out continued training on the ILET platform. So stay tuned for that. So without any further ado, let's uh, open up this interview I had with Doc at ILET and uh, get right into it. Here we go. Hey everybody, this is Adam Kanakin with ILET Network here at the ILETA Conference 2021 in St. Louis. I have the honor of being joined by my friend and fantastic instructor, Doc Davis. Doc, thanks so much for joining me, man. really appreciate it. No problem. Glad to be here. You and I have got to do a few things in the past together. Um, and I know that when we found out we'd both be at ILETA, we said, let's get together and have a conversation on a topic that's probably not discussed very often in law enforcement. And so what I'd like to do is kind of cue you up with that and let you kind of explain what it is that you want to talk about today. Okay, great. Um, The topic is about autism. And I think it is a conversation that is being had more often in law enforcement. Um, But it is something that because of its increasing impact on society, I think we in law enforcement need to talk about it even more than we already are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, autism is one of those things that for you and I both, it hits a little closer to home. Um, myself, my brother's special needs, my younger brother, and, and you have a member of your family who's also... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a 10-year-old son who was diagnosed as being on the spectrum uh, when he was about 20, 22 months old. 
So my son Ian, he's now 10 years old. And uh, in addition to everything I had done professionally and academically, it, it's been a truly uh, interesting 10-year ride with him. And it's, uh, it's been fun. So when we talk about autism, now people, under, people hear the word autism all the time but I don't think they quite understand what that is. And it's partially not their fault. Partially it's because of the way that we've decided to, to label autism and, and just kind of the entire wide range that that entails. Can you explain a little bit about that? I absolutely agree with you on that, Adam. Um, prior to 2013, when the American Psychological Association released the newest version of their Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, there used to be five separate disorders that we talked about being on the autism spectrum or kind of under this master umbrella of what we considered autism. Um, and those were Rett syndrome, pervasive developmental disorder, childhood disintegrative disorder, Asperger syndrome, and uh, autistic spectrum disorder. After the release of the DSM-5 in 2013, four of those were removed from the lexicon and now everybody who's diagnosed as being on the spectrum is diagnosed with autistic spectrum disorder and then they differentiate level one level two level three based on how significant the impairments are for that individual so now we've gone from having multiple different lanes that we can classify people into and said, all right, everybody's stuffed under one kind of umbrella. What, what problems has that caused? Well, again, the biggest thing is you look at this one term and you hear, okay, well, this person is autistic. Well, where do they fall within that spectrum? And realize that at one end of the spectrum, you have an individual who is maybe wheelchair bound, incapable of even caring for themselves based on you know autism and most likely uh, at that end of the spectrum you're also going to have comorbid disorders other di other disorders that are happening in this individual at the same time which approximately depending on where you read between 70 and 90 percent of autistic individuals have comorbid disorders so it's autism and um, so you have that as one extreme and then the other extreme um, kind of a dated reference now, but the actors, Dan Aykroyd and Daryl Hannah, have both come out and publicly admitted they have Asperger's syndrome. So here are these two, um, you know, at least back in the 80s, extremely famous, extremely successful Hollywood actors that ha are now lumped under the same umbrella. So, and of course, you have everywhere in between. Now, there's people that are listening to this right now are probably wondering like, hey, why are we talking about autism? Isn't this a law enforcement training conference? And I think one of the things that's important to understand from an instructor perspective, which is what this conference is about, is that you have to have information and knowledge outside of what that, that very soulful, maybe you're a defensive tax instructor, but imagine not being able to explain to an officer who comes in and said, hey, I, have, I had a scenario um, or I had a call where I ended up talking, uh, having to deal with a, a person who was autistic and it went to shit and I don't know what happened. And now you have an instructor who can say, well, let's discuss that from a defensive tactics perspective. 
but why why do you think that it's so so difficult for instructors to try to to get outside of their wheelhouse and learn about different things like ASD? Well, again, a lot of what we've done in law enforcement, we, we are continuing to do what we've always done. And I, I think ILEDA and a lot of other organizations are really pushing the fact that just because you've always done it doesn't mean it was done right. And I, I've often said that law enforcement is famous for confusing incidents that ended well with incidents that had been done properly. Mm. We get lucky a lot. We, we really do. Um, you know, with regards to understanding why it's important to understand autism, uh, again, it's an ever-increasing segment of society. The current estimate is that one out of every 54 children born in this country will be diagnosed with autism. For males, it's actually one in 37. We can go back to 2016, five years ago, there was a national survey done uh, among healthcare providers and the 2016 survey actually suggested that instead of one in 54, it was already one in 45 back then. So this number is an ever increasing number. Um, there are, you can go online and you can find videos of officers who are thinking they're maybe walking into a situation dealing with a teenager or a young adult that they're thinking they're maybe dealing with somebody who's high on drugs because of erratic behaviors, you know, maybe tonic-clonic movements with the arms or hand flapping, weird vocalizations. Um, and all of these are possibly behaviors exhibited by people on the spectrum. Uh, there's one that came out, the, the agency I think did a, a pretty good job of handling the media fallout from it, but an officer makes a consensual contact with a teenager in a park, ends up taking him to the ground when the kid goes to pull away, um, the officer does a really good job of de-escalating himself and, and not, you know, really getting into a, a serious use of force situation. But the first thing the kid told him when he was asking why he was acting that way is he said, I'm stimming. And stimming is a term that is very common to anybody familiar with the autism world. Um, it's a physical movement designed to help calm the mind. You know, we all pretty much do it when you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs or, you know, you're in the grocery store behind somebody and you're wondering which of those 40 items, they're, which 10 of those 40 items they're actually going to buy in the express lane. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there and you start wringing your hands on the cart. That's stimming. It's, you know, those physical motions that we do to try to calm our mind. In the case of autistic individuals, those are often exaggerated and, and very over-the-top motions that will get officers' attention. So it's important to understand uh, the same way that with sovereign citizens, we have to learn certain terminology that are cues that, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. We need to learn that for autism too. We start hearing somebody talking about stimming. That's a huge cue that this person is probably on the spectrum. You know, it's really fascinating. I mean, obviously we've, I've dealt a lot growing up with a lot of children with special needs and a lot of children that have autism. And one of the things that I, I would love to get your, you know, your thoughts on is when you have an officer who's, who's on a call and they suspect that somebody could potentially be stimming, they're, they're on the spectrum, they're having issues, they have to understand that every single one of those individuals probably has different responses to different stimulus. And it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Would just, just because, it's not like diabetes. 
right? If I, if I have really low blood sugar and I'm diabetic, we give them sugar. Right. It's, it, it's, it's not like that because certain individuals, certain children will need like they need like very close, they, sometimes they like to be wrapped up and held very tightly to feel secure. And sometimes if you even think about touching them, they'll completely go off the rails. So what from an officer perspective is important for a patrol officer to know if you're dealing with a person? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, identifying that you're dealing with somebody who is autistic as early on in the call as possible is huge. Um, hopefully we're getting that information from family, from if we're responding to uh, a school environment, we're getting that from the teachers or from the aides. You know, hopefully we're getting that information ahead uh, of time and we're getting, usually we're going to be able to also get information from those same individuals, the caretakers, the therapists, regarding what the triggers for this individual are. What are the things that are going to set them off? Um, individuals on the spectrum will often have either hypersensitivity or a extreme lack of sensitivity to various senses. Um, it's not uncommon. There are cases where you'll get a report of a four or five-year-old child running down the middle of the street completely unclothed. Um, and, you know, I actually received that call when I was still working the road. And I remember thinking on my way there, okay, I have a naked four-year-old child running down the middle of a city street and there's not a parent right behind them trying to catch them. So as I'm on the way to this call, I'm thinking to myself, who's going to jail today? Somebody screwed up. Um, and it wasn't the case. Uh, in this specific incident, it was a father who worked nights. The mother worked day shift. Dad came home. It was his turn to take care of the child. Um, he actually fell asleep on the couch. The front door of this house, they had the regular lock, the deadbolt, a second deadbolt, and then at the top of the chair, they had one of those old-fashioned motel room chains mm. so that they could keep the door closed. Well, the child had actually pushed a chair up against the door, put a bucket on top of that, and then used that in combination with a little stick to knock the chain off so that she could then climb down and get the door open. The dad wasn't negligent. The dad was doing the best he could in the situation. The reason for the child being naked after she ran out of the house was because she was hypersensitive to touch. And this is what you're talking about, where if you go to touch them, sometimes there will be a, an immediate reaction. She was so hypersensitive to touch that the feeling of clothing against her skin was basically like you or I taking steel wool and rubbing it up and down our arm. Um, you'll have other children hypersensitive to sound. And they'll need to, in order to be, in, even in this environment where we are right now, they would have to have the same level of hearing protection on that we wear on the range. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, you can have children that are so, have such a low sensitivity to, f to feeling that my son had a gash across the back of his right arm that actually exposed bone and required over 14 stitches and the kid just looked at it and never made a sound. It didn't even register on him that he was injured. You, you can't, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see it, but I'm smiling. My younger brother, he was seven, seven years old, I wanna say, um, had t took a kitchen knife across his left forearm and he sliced it across everything right down to the bone so you could see the adipose tissue, everything right down. 
and and same thing. Literally, we were watching. I, I was there like when it happened, and I was like, okay. But he's sitting there, and he's he's like, look what I did. Yeah. And he had such a high pain tolerance, and the only time he cried the entire thing was when the plastic surgeon came in, and was and was gonna put freezing in, and my and he he was like, ow ow, and my theory is that the needle actually didn't hurt him. It was, it was the visual. It was the visual of the needle, and he knew, oh, needles are supposed to hurt. Yeah. That, and, and people don't, until you experience that, you, you can't imagine like, you know, a yeah. paper cut hurts. <laughs> so it's, and, and, and it's, it's, it's crazy that, yeah. just the, the commonality there. With my son's injury, it was, it was weird. I still have no idea what cut him. Um, the cut was actually in the shape of the letter Omega. Um, and the only time he cried was when we restrained him so that the doctor could put the stitches in. Uh, he was four and a half years old. He was on a papoose board with a 220 pound paramedic laying across his thighs and hips. I'm laying across his left shoulder, isolating out his right forearm for the doctor so he didn't move while he was getting stitched. And he was pissed about being restrained. That was the only time he made any noise during the whole process. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Just it, it what it does is it allows you when you when you have a call and you go out there when you have that experience. We say the same thing. Um, I, I I'm a firm believer that every officer during academy training should at some point spend a day in some type of psychiatric hospital, something where they're dealing with patients with mental health. And I'm not. I'm not going to associate autism with with like severe mental health disorders, but it's important to know the to understand that not all human beings act the same. Absolutely, and they can't be treated the same either. Um, you know, and you bring up the other mental health conditions. You can't speak to somebody who is schizophrenic the same way you would talk to somebody who's depressed. You know, and if you really need a better example of that, think about when you go to work. You clearly don't talk to your direct supervisor the way you spoke to your spouse at home or the way you talk you to your shouldn't. children at home. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, if you've got that kind of relationship with your boss, hey, uh, good on you. But again, we naturally talk to people differently. But for some reason, when it comes to mental health, you know, it's like you said, you compare it to diabetes where, okay, if it's, a, if it's hypoglycemia, if it's A, if it's I do B, sugar, yeah. Right, and unfortunately that can't be done, and that's why, you know, when you look at like crisis intervention or you look at hostage negotiation, none of the textbooks are able to say when A do B, when C do D, because there are so many different variables in play. Um, you might have your local person that you, you know, your local homeless person that may or may not suffer from a mental disorder and you've dealt with them 200 times over the past 10, 20 years. And for whatever reason, that one morning, something different happened in their life. And this person who has always been the most harmless, meek, they just wanna go do their own thing. For whatever reason, that day is their day and they turn and take a swing at you. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's different. Everybody has, even within their own differences, they have their own unique circumstances each day. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to understand as much as we can about things. I think with autism, it's important to understand how broad it is. So just because you hear the term 
doesn't necessarily mean you know what you're walking into until you get there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the other biggest things is there's no way to look at somebody and see autism because we, j- we gauge it based off of behaviors, not any physical attribute. Um, you know, when we talk about Down syndrome, mm-hmm. you can look at an individual that has Down syndrome and say, okay, this person most likely is, has a Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that with autism. It, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, there has been some bad science out there, or alleged science. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the whole vaccine episode. Yes. Where people were terrified that the MMR vaccine was potentially, you know, triggering autism. Uh, the study was the study that claimed that was led by Dr. Andrew Wakefield over in England. Um, turns out it was completely fraudulent. He was intentionally altering data to make the study say what he wanted it to say. Um, that study was originally published in the journal Lancet. They retracted the journal, and he ended up losing his medical license because of the fraud that he had committed. And, you know, we talk about the ripple effect. We ended up having children in this country that have died of preventable diseases because parents were so afraid of that vaccine causing autism, they didn't get their kids vaccinated, and they ended up dying. Yeah, and that, that opens up a whole can of worms, especially right now that I don't think we even have the time to, time no, to get absolutely. into. But one, I guess what I'd like to do before, you know, before we send you back into the wilderness here for the conference, um, if, if you had an option to, to share something regarding autism or law enforcement training in general to law enforcement, what would it be? I think the important thing is to realize that you're never done learning. If you ever think you are, then it's time to go do something else. Um, there's always more to learn and nobody's ever gotten it right. We're always learning, we're always improving. Um, You know, and with regards to especially the mental health issues, autism um, and the the other situations, realize that people are people, no matter what's going on, um, you know, whether it's a developmental disorder where it's just the way their brain is wired or if it's one of the other types of disorders where it can be cured with, you know, combinations of medication and therapy. Um, people are people. It, it doesn't matter how far gone you may think they are. That's somebody's mother, brother, son, whatever the case may be. And, you know, there's a lot of law enforcement officers who at one point or another in their career have faced adversity. And some were able to come back from it and some weren't. So we need to take the time to look at these situations and realize there but for the grace of God go I. And no matter how difficult or challenging a person may seem, we need to recognize the basic humanity in every situation and treat everybody the way we would want either ourselves or our family members to be treated. Well, I'm going to leave that there. Doc, it was a complete honor to have you sit down with me. As always, I love every time we have a chance to talk. So thank you for taking the time. And uh, enjoy the rest of the conference, brother. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Join the ILET Network now. Go to ILET.network. That's I-L-E-T dot network.